Welcome, all listener, to another episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. This is episode 137 and a half of the podcast. And it is, of course, a continuation from the episode that was published a couple of weeks ago, because that was a very long recording session while I was killing time at a hotel in Bismarck, North Dakota, in February before all of us were driven into self-isolation and (laughs) social distancing by this virus that is now rampaging around the world. So the discussion picks up uh, pretty much right on the topic of VPNs, but it quickly gets into other techie topics like Cortana being migrated or relegated rather to Office 365. We come back to Shroud of the Avatar a little bit. We talk about multiboxing. We talk about gaming hardware, mice, accessories. Scouting comes up because, of course, I actually did wind up doing a fair bit of scouting-related activities whilst I was in Bismarck. We talk about the scouts there, Girl Scouts, guides, cookies, earning badges, how this can have an analog in game achievements, and how achievements have in many respects changed how people play games. We talk a little bit about Reckoning, a game that I always love to discuss, and also discuss some of the successes and pitfalls of redoing massively multiplayer online games of course just a reminder the podcast is now hosted on anchor.fm newer podcast hosting platform a little bit more social in its layout and feel you can find us at anchor.fm slash sssh podcast or at spam 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 humbug.com if you're in the anchor app do consider liking the podcast liking our episodes and of course sharing them with your social media circles and as always this episode of spam 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 humbug is brought to you by our patreon backers patreon.com slash ultima codex if you would like to join that hearty crew thank you to everyone who supports the podcast and the codex by that means and as always, a big thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Golden Flame, Chris, Dominic, Violation, Cranberry, Christopher, Bruce, Darkwraith, Dragon, Helgruff, Gronk, Pascal, and Thorwant. Oh, and actually, a bit of a thank you too, because we recently received a new donation. Let me just find the note here. Yes. Ellie. Ellie just registered and became a patron as well. So you know what, Ellie, I actually now have to include you in the co-producers section, if I am not mistaken. So that is awesome. Thank you so much, Ellie, for supporting us. Hope you've been enjoying the podcast and that you'll continue to be a listener. All right, enough from me. Let's get on with the show. You know, this brings me to a third kind of Wi-Fi network, the one that I will always automatically disconnect from, you know? It's like, okay, fine, I'll connect to your public hotspot and I'll fire up McAfee Safe Connect, but some hotspots block the use of VPNs. Yeah. I've noticed that. if you are doing that with your hotspot, I am kissing it goodbye. I am just, I am out of there. (laughs) Yeah, Safe Connect can't connect. Yep, nope. T-Mobile hasn't given me any issues with using VPN on my phone, which has been good. But yeah, no, I mean, it's hotspot or not, they've always been pretty good with that. I'm like, good, just yeah. don't change that policy and I'll be happy. Ladies, yeah, I have a Hey there. So, what are we talking about tonight? Uh, hotel Wi Fi, why it sucks, and why you should always use VPN. That that was the most recent topic. Prior to that, we discussed many things, including that awful uh, Shroud of the Avatar screenshot, the Sonic movie, and how it's been beating Birds of Prey at the box office. Uh, M. Sweeney, Picard, the dark turn in entertainment of late, um, 
games as kind of a vehicle for finding purpose. The cost of the PlayStation 5, apparently the and production they, cost, is going to exceed 450 bucks per unit. And that's so, the production and not the retail? Uh, yep. Apparently. So we're not sure if they're going to do like some kind of loss leading with their console sales, but they're, you know, they, like, we're going to have to do something. They did loss leading with the PS1 and PS2, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and Xbox did it as well, so... Yeah, it's nothing new with the industry. It's just, will they do it or not? I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're Sony. They can be jerks. So, you know. And um, as far and as most... why... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. And then most recently, we were geeking out about the fact that Dauntless... I was geeking out about the fact that Dauntless is apparently available for Switch now. I've been avoiding it because on PC because it's only Epic Game Store, but if it's on Switch, I might give it a try. Anyways, you were going to say. Hmm. Yeah. Regarding Wi-Fi... As much as people com you know, complain about the quality of a hotel and otherwise Wi-Fi that you don't necessarily pay for, it's still Wi-Fi that you're not paying for. True, but it's also public Wi-Fi. Sure. And therefore not that secure. This is why, well, for consumer use, I, I know you do business when you're abroad. You, you, and you are also a cybersecurity professional. It is rumored. But for someone who does personal, you know, non-commercial, non, you know, secure use, public Wi-Fi is not that bad and is, if anything, a godsend for me. Because I spend multiple hours per month in this or that hospital or this or that clinic waiting for procedures to be done for my mother or waiting for her to get out of recovery. And sure. in those times, what I do to keep myself busy is I'll take my switch or my laptop or my phone on the hospital Wi-Fi and either sure. look at YouTube or look at fanfiction.net or even sure. Twitch to keep myself busy. But I'm not like doing, you know, things that I would normally keep encrypted on my business system anyways kind of stuff. I'm doing, you know, Well, that's things. the point, right? Like it's, it's one thing, you know, if, yeah, you're just sitting there gaming on the switch, um, that's, you know, far less concerning, right? But I mean, I'm not sniffing traffic on the network here um, because I'm nice like that. Um, I know some of my colleagues have occasionally done for experimental purposes, you know, just to confirm that people are as, as dumb sometimes as we unfortunately think they are. Um, I think you mean, no, they are. Yeah, well, <laughs> but you know, there, there's... I'll, I'll guarantee you someone in this hotel is accessing their bank account right now on the Wi-Fi. Stupid. Yeah, but someone's going to do it and probably not even think about the fact that they're connecting to the same hotspot uh, that a hundred other people are. I don't even like putting my, I don't even like putting my credit card into internet that I trust at my home and my physical plugged into the wire system that I'm sitting in front of right now. Well, neither do I. I mean, I try and just, <clears throat> I try and route everything to PayPal when I can. Yeah, that's my methodology is usually to just route it through PayPal for a little extra security. And then, then when I, mean, I, I can't have, do that, it is what it is. And when I have can't to use the card, I make a point of telling it, do not save this information. Yes. I mean, there's a couple of places where I do have my card information saved at, but it's not like small fry players. It's like, you know, okay, Google, uh, Google. Yeah. Okay. You can probably. You you can probably have one of my payment card data. Oh, I did say okay, Google, didn't I? <laughs> uh, 
I did, one of the first things I disabled on my LG Stylo 4 when I got it was the OK Google functionality for that exact uh, reason. Do you know what? I only re-enabled it recently because Microsoft, they're discontinuing Cortana as a voice assistant on mobile. So I'm just like, oh, well, fine. I guess I'll turn the Google one back on. But And then the button on the side of my phone actually has a purpose again. If I could just... If I could excise that out of Windows 10, I would be a happy sentient. Well, Microsoft's going to do that for you for the most part. Cortana, it seems, is going to basically be relegated to the 0365 realm. She's the new Clippy. Uh, That's still a funny emoji I have. As far as Clippy, there used to be a webcomic I followed about 20 years ago called Ubersoft. Hmm. Where Clippy was essentially... Oh... I don't know how to explain it. Clippy was chipper to the point and dim to the point where people hated him. As in murderous rage. How is that different than what Clippy was? At this point, Clippy was sentient and embodied. Okay, well, that's a little different. (laughs) So people who wanted him dead could try. Yes. Yes, they could. And I imagine he would greet them with, it looks like you're trying to murder me. As far as assuming the worst out of people technologically, I used to work Dell's help desk. Yes. So you know, you don't have to assume anything. You just know. I straight up got one elderly lady uh, back in around 02 who legitimately thought her mouse was a foot was a foot pedal. Let me guess she did. Well, sewing. her sewing machine has one. <laughs> yeah. And the bad part was she was actually pretty good at using her foot like that. I could see that being a challenge mode for speedruns these days. <laughs> Do it with your feet. That's that's a funny coda to that story. I like that. There was an anime about some very hardcore gamers. Uh, there's a guy and his little sister. And I remember the little girl used the... Well, both of them played with two accounts at the same time and the little girl would use one mouse with her foot and another with her hand and would I think I've heard of this anime on two different clients it's called no game no life that's the anime I've heard of this before also known as uh, how to multibox in Shroud of the Avatar I thought that the official policy on multiboxing was they didn't care because they still got paid. But Chris did muse on the possibility of introducing some sort of limitation to the game where, um, you know, the game had to be the active window that was, you know, being interacted oh. with. Well, oh if, if they were to allow multiboxing, at the very least, they would have 12 people playing instead of six. No, it would just be six people playing two characters each. Well, 12 accounts being played is what I meant. Yes, yes. Yeah, there you but go. there's diminishing returns with multiboxing at a certain point. True, but well, if I, I can unless play you're doing you. Unless you're doing where you have one mouse and keyboard and you're controlling multiple accounts at the same time, usually with software or multiple computers or VMs. I'm just saying, if you can control one box with your hands and one with your feet... That gets around things. But no, that was an interesting 
editorial, I would almost say, when I did that post. Uh, uh, I have a... did not generate enough controversy. Just my what, the episode two stuff? No, the article I did on the Codex, where I talk about that and all my thoughts, and I talk about multiboxing and the history of multiboxing and how much things are allowed mm-hmm. and the combat system and why his punishing of the combats of people who multibox because of how they design the combat system is dumb. And That's right. It would disable fast attack or it would disable the, yeah, it would disable the, the auto attack. The auto attack. Oh, that was last month, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, about that. I did get a little bit Normally, of hate for that. I had a couple people who, unfortunately, obviously my public Facebook is still out there, and even though I never log into it, but I periodically will, will log into the messenger just for a few certain friends. And what did I see? Oh yeah. A couple of messages in there and the uh, filtered ones of non-friends. It's like, Oh, look at that. People calling me names because I refuse to just, Except what he says is this is the right way. And it's like, well, no. Drink the Kool-Aid. Drink the Kool-Aid. What's oh. very telling to me as far as Ultima goes is we haven't heard word one about soda from the official from Richard Garriott's own official account or Twitter account. Yeah, not for quite a while. This is what I use for animals. Left hand and right hand. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I'm not that hardcore. I just have like a uh, yeah, two the, buttons. The one on the left, if you look closely, it has a thumbstick. I see. Wow. So I, I, use my, I use the thumbstick for moving and the other buttons for skills and stuff. Plus the mouse also has another 12 buttons for skills. Since, since nowadays most MMOs have a button bar with 24 buttons, 24 quick, quick keys. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the hot There's bar. There's no uh, other way. Well, I don't know. The hot bar in the old Republic, I think, has 10 slots. Now, granted, it has like, you can set up like four different decks, I think, three yeah. or four different decks, but it's only 10. I think it's only about 10 buttons per, maybe 12 at the most. Oh, but it can go. It, actually, now that I think about it, it yeah, can go to. You can double stack it. There. You can double stack it. You can multi stack it. In fact, uh, what I used to do was have one through 10 and minus and equals on one bar, a shift and those on the next bar, control and yeah. those on the next bar. Mm. So, yeah, okay. To, I can see the. I can see the 12 buttons on a mouse. How many fingers you got? 10. I like that. Your mouse has more mouse, buttons than you have fingers. Yeah, the buttons I have on the mouse, I use them with my thumb. Yeah, no, I can see, I can see, like, I mean, I'm looking at the picture of the mouse you pose, and it's like, I can see those are obviously and, all thumb buttons, but it's still just hilarious to me yeah, to have yeah. the, the concept it, of a mouse with more buttons than you have fingers. Yeah, before. and and it has the markings for, for the same as, uh, as what the keywords have for touch typing. Oh, really? Yeah, there's some. The buttons on the side are labeled G9 through G20. Huh. And the buttons G13 and G16 have the have markings to identify them. Crazy. You know, as a gamer myself, I am not remotely this hardcore. I use a standard <coughs> optical two-button wheel mouse 
for my for mouse. I use a cheap $10 Amazon Basics keyboard. Nice. And I use a $20 off-brand Xbox One controller. Oh, Umbre would shoot you for that one alone. Umbre, why would... I have a wired Xbox 360 controller. Oh, right. Umbre uses the, like, the Pro Elite. And and the Steam controller. Meanwhile, I'm the world's crappiest console gamer, so you hand me a controller and I'll basically guarantee you I'm going to lose. Yet, for some reason, I love playing on the Switch. So go figure that one out. I also have a fighting arcade stick. A what now? It works on... It's an arcade stick. It works on PC, Xbox One, and PS4. Nice. Mostly, I use it mostly for fighting games. Here's the thing: is I am in no way, you know, the MLG Elite Pro gamer. I mean, yeah, in the very, very technical sense that I get paid for people watching me play video games, I'm in that aspect of pro gamer. But I get like maybe five, ten bucks a month, if that. Sure. Because I am the definition of small time. Right, right. I have no need of having the bleeding edge best of the absolute best. As long as it gets me where I'm going, I'm good. I think this depends on the kind of games you play, though, because like Drax, I know, really likes the very intense action games. And especially if you're getting into like competitive play in exactly, then, you know, Every, every millisecond you save uh, on your UI interactions is potentially the difference between winning and dying. And this is my keyboard. Holy crap. Backlight, and it's mechanical. I could yeah, light my house with that many LEDs. I, oh, actually, this reminds me of a funny story. I, uh, I, w- I was trying to help a friend troubleshoot some issues and we identified that their gaming keyboard i can't ah who was this his gaming keyboard was i mean ultimately the issue was probably with the front panel usb port rather than the keyboard itself but when he plugged it in it would cause such a short in the front panel usbs or like such a something (laughs) would happen and just the, the power draw from lighting up the keyboard would, um, you know, via his front panel USB would actually cause the computer to uh, power cycle. Holy crap. <laughs> uh, this so. one is actually, when I plug it in, it detects a USB hub and a keyboard plug into the hub. Well, it's and it has probably... two, two ports or plugging in more devices, and that's where I plug the mouse. And yeah, I get that with like the, the Lenovo keyboard I use at the and office. Speed pad, which is fine. I mean, I'd be curious to see the power draw on this thing. I somehow doubt that it's uh, doing all that with five volts. Yeah, one thing's the volts, the other is the current. Oh, sure, sure. It's a fine-looking unit, though. Who makes that one? Yeah, it's a uh, Chinese-made. Uh, it's uh, commissioned by a Mexican company uh, okay. for gamer devices. It's the same brand as my headset. Oh, okay. It's Eagle Warrior. I also have the uh, large mat for keyboard and mouse. Ah, uh, is it a cooling mat? 
I guess that would be more for underneath a laptop, though. Uh, it's it's uh, non-slip uh, mouse map. Nice. I like that we still use mouse pads, even though nobody but nobody has a trackball mouse anymore. Well, it keeps the mouse clean. I still have scars from all of the times I had to take the ball out of my ball mouse and actually had to get in there with tweezers and cotton swabs to get all of the dirt that had assembled and had accumulated off the rollers. Oh, you don't have to tell me. This is a mouse mat. Nice. If you tell me those edges glow, though, I'm probably going to like throw something off of the table. Uh, they are bright red. No, I mean the green they parts. Are ma- they are made of thread. Oh, okay. Uh, it's uh, that one is the design with the green, uh, with the green edges. I have one with red edges. Oh, okay, but and they're just a nice bright color. They don't actually like glow or anything like that. Because no, that would be too much. But it's 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 thread uh, like the. And I like that design because it reminds me a bit, a bit of the cloud map from Ultima. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Meanwhile, what I use for yeah. a mouse pad is my and old it, Scion protects, 1.0 player's fan book. Yeah, Ooh. and it protects the the edges from damage. You know, when you're playing and after rubbing too, too much on the mat, the... The covering, the top covering starts uh, uh, lifting and peeling. <laughs> so that that thread protects it from that. I'll be right back. Okay. Yeah, uh, my mouse pad is known as Surface I'm um, working on is. Although, to be fair because I pretty much exclusively use optical mice now. I think there is one trackball mouse in the house now, but it's kind of more of a museum piece than anything. <laughs> um, but, uh, although this kind of depends because like a lot of times I just, I mean, obviously my, my office such as it is, AKA furnace room is in the basement, but, um, sometimes, you know, later in the evenings, if I'm, Oh yeah, I have seen many a mouse pad die that way. Yeah, uh, the thread protects it from that for sure. Um, but anyways, I was saying, um, so like, I mean, my main gaming nights are typically nights when my wife isn't home. Um, you know, she's pulling an evening shift at the hospital or whatever, and so, um, you know, the ritual. And I mean, you know, you've caught me. You've all caught me in the middle of the too because sometimes I make those recording nights as well. Um, and you know, the ritual, I got to put the kids to bed and then once the kids are in bed, I can join up and go downstairs and on nights when I'm recording, I'll definitely go to the basement because I don't want my voice carrying up and waking anybody up. Um, I am told that it carries rather significantly throughout the house, but on nights when I'm gaming, um, sometimes I'll go to the basement sometimes I will stay on the main floor and I'll bring the gaming laptop upstairs because I mean, I can throw the headset on and I can listen and then it just, it depends, right? It depends on so many factors. Um, yeah. Kids are unpredictable. 
Um, and usually if I'm going to set up to game upstairs, I'll set up on the stove because the stove is one of those nice glass top yeah. ranges. <laughs> um, and depending on which mouse I use, it will either work or not. Like my little, uh. um, my, both of my travel mice will work just fine. Um, but there's a third mouse that I sometimes use, which, uh, does not like the glass surface in the least. Mm. So it really depends on exactly what the optical media is. But I mean, I don't have a mouse pad that I, I don't even have a mouse pad in the house anymore. I just, yeah, mouse goes on whatever surface it is. But I'm kind of a neat freak mm. about surfaces. So, you know, there's not really, there's never really like a surface where it's like covered in gunk and grime in the house. <laughs> I can't be bothered to pick up my papers. Um, but when it comes to actually like wiping off the stove top, I'm just like, I'm zealous about that. So that one's usually okay. Mm. And it's a good height, you know, like it's almost as, it's almost as high as a standing desk would be. So it's like, it's just perfect. <laughs> well, my desk is made of glass. This, uh, this mat helps a lot. Yes, it would. And I mean, like, to be fair, if I was playing on like a pure glass table where like you could see right through it, like with the glass top range, it's yes, it's glass topped, but it's a dark surface underneath. So I think the mouse doesn't get thrown off. There was one time where I was trying to use a mouse on what was essentially a glass table. And it's like, okay, yeah, just, I don't know what, pass me that magazine. <laughs> like, but, you know, obviously the optical component at some point needs a significant amount of light to return to it in order to properly function and a fully transparent table will not allow it to do that love to see what happened if you tried to use that on something painted in vanta black oh my desk is black so having this corsair mouse pad that literally covers the entire desk almost is kind of nice mm. i uh, it returns the light decently which yeah and I have one of these as well, since my desk is L-shaped. Uh, ah. This is on the left, on the left side, and on the right side is the black one. The Mine's an old uh, fly uh, plywood thing, that, or particle board desk that's fallen apart more or less. But as far as where I mouse on, that's what I've got a recliner for. Yeah, Fair enough. This one has a blue contour. It's also made of thread. Nice. I, I, that almost looks like it would be a little bit larger than the surface of the desk that I have in the basement. So, oh well. What do you do? It's 80 centimeters long and 35 wide. Okay, well, it would just fit, just. But I'd probably have to move the laptop stands a bit. Yeah, at my job, I have, a, I have one of the black mouse pads. And it fits my laptop and has plenty of room for the mouse. Nice. <sighs> I've heard that I've heard that sigh before from my father after a long day of putting up with myself and my sister. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I second the motion, Golem. Oh my god, this yeah. week has just been—I mean, actually, like t 
to to be fair, this week has actually gone really, really well. As as work trips go, this one has been pretty smooth. Well, it's good. So I I definitely can't. Uh, but I mean, like like my last time at this site was also pretty good. So not really worried about that. Um, and I think when I'm back here again next month, it'll probably be pretty smooth sailing as well. Although we have a lot of work to do next month. It's always difficult when you're in an operating facility, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's only so much you can do while the unit is running <laughs> and certain stuff. You have to wait for the unit outage. Um, I have done some of this kind of work on a live operating unit before and my gosh, you have to be careful, but Fortunately, they do have an outage coming up, so I'll be able to, but well, going into the weekend, I don't have to work on Saturday, so I can just study, 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 work my labs and read my materials mm-hmm. and make my notes, Oot. maybe actually be ready for the exam that I have to the day after I get off a plane. And then I get to go meet with the scout groups, with the local scout group on Monday and Tuesday, mm-hmm. so. Oh yeah, you mentioned that the other night. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a habit I'm really glad I got into because it's just, I mean, there's a few things I've been longer than I've been a scout. <laughs> and, uh, and the, the other groups genuinely seem enthused by it too. You know, like this group, like they've like the, the Ireland group was like, you know, the group I met in Ireland, they were great. You know, they just like, yeah, come on out to the cub meeting and come on hiking with our venturers. And, hey, come on out and the scouts and hey you're from canada are pumpkins a thing because this was right around halloween are pumpkins a thing in canada like jack-o'-lanterns yeah cool i wanted to show my kids one but i have no idea how to carve one can you help i got you bro i got you um (laughs) but uh you know like here they're doing their blue and gold banquet which is kind of their um for those of you who have no idea what the heck that is, so that's for Cub Scouts, and it's basically like uh, it, they do it like you know once a year. It's always in February because that's Scouting and Guiding Month. Um, they usually try and hold it during the week that also holds Baden Powell's birthday, which I believe is the twenty first. Wasn't Baden Powell the founder of Scouting in general? Yes, and his wife was the founder of Guiding, <laughs> and they had the same birthday, if I remember correctly. So cool beans yeah well actually his wife and sister were kind of co-instrumental in in founding guiding but his wife is classically credited as the founder but anyways this is um, something i've always wondered about because i know in pretty much every other country in the world other than the u.s that has scouting and guiding the what we call girl scouts are called girl guides yeah now how does guiding in, or, or, in, or in the international sense, see the American Girl Scouts of America? Uh, well, the, the, uh, the international organization, which um, governs, and I use that term very, very loosely because in most cases, the, the governance more or less stops at the national level. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there is the World mm-hmm. Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts. AKA WAGs. And uh oh, that's what they call it. You know, uh, I'm just playing yeah. along. I'm but assuming anyways. there's been crass humor to that point, but we'll get past that. <sighs> Plenty, I'm sure. Um, but anyways, so yeah, there's WAGs, it's the World Association, and it governs 
girl guides and girl scouts and i don't think they really see a distinction except that oh well yeah they have a different name there and to be fair i'm while i'm pretty sure that it's mostly elsewhere in the world it's like girl guides is kind of the the going thing because the movement began as guiding um i don't discount the possibility that some other countries might have girl scouts as well although mainly it's the us but functionally you know they the girl scouts operate in much the same manner that guides in canada would right down to the cookies although y'all have much wider selection of cookies than we do in canada yeah and that's one thing my my fiance's mother god rest her soul was a troop leader and i had it let known to me that she did not get any special treatment whatsoever when she was growing up (laughs) i'm sure your kids have to tell have to tell their friends in scouting and guiding the same thing. Well, they, I mean, they don't have to tell anything because their friends can all see it. It's, 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 it's not something that is, would be covered in any training material, but, you know, and all of my scouters kind of have this agreement that, you know, we are at the meetings. We are, you know, when I'm at the meetings, I'm Tic Tac or I'm Akela. I'm not dad. And sometimes I'll even tell my kids this, right? Um, some of my scouters take it a step further. You know, they, because like we run, um, like with Cub Scouts, we have almost 50 youth registered in Cub Scouts. We got a big pack. And yeah, well, 58 year olds in one room is ungovernable. Yeah. So we split them up, right? All 50 are registered for Cubs on Wednesday evening. So you're telling me your favorite Old Testament book is Job. (laughs) Not quite. Uh, Song of Songs. Followed by, actually, no, sorry, Sirach, then Song of Songs. Sirach, that must be be, uh, Deuterocanon, because I, growing up Protestant, I never heard of that one. No, it's just in the complete canon. Let's sure not. not get into that debate. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Hey, I gotta get my, I gotta get my legs in when I. But um, to come back to, so yeah, we split them, and we're lucky because like we have a school gymnasium, and then right across the hall is a community league. So we have the the main hall in the community league. We have both of those spaces on both nights. So the packs are right across the road from each other. If we do need to do a crossover event, it's very easy. But if we do need to split them up because we actually need them focused, um, it's also very easy. And some of my scouters actually deliberately set it up so that they are a scouter for the pack that does not contain their children. <laughs> um, whereas others take the opposite route. I, I am one of those, you know, well, I mean, I'm a little bit different <clears throat> because I'm technically attached to both packs. So I kind of float between them on any given evening. But, you know, some of my other scouters are like, no, my kids are in this pack, so scouter. But broadly speaking, we all kind of understand that we're there with the scouts in uniform. Um, we're scouters. And, you know, if an emergency happens, then we can revert to being mom or we can revert to being dad. But unless, you know, our kid is actually like bleeding or puking or something, you know, emergent, um, we are the scouter. And we're not mom or we're not dad for that 60 or 90 minutes that uh, the meeting lasts for. Well, that's a 
That's a very good thought exercise to go through anyway. I like that. It is. It is. It is actually a really good thought exercise for both the parent and the kid because it's very easy, you know, I mean, obviously kids are inclined to be attached to their parents anyways. So it's a good exercise in, in, um, you know, getting a little bit independent at any rate. Uh, and at the same time, you know, as a parent, you know, you can become a little overly attached to your kid. And so it's a very good thought exercise for you too, to just be able to let yourself distance a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, we, we manage. The reason I brought up scout, uh, the reason I brought up the difference between girl guys and such again, I was warned before I first met my fiance's mother back when we were still just friends. Sure. I was told, you know, she's a, she is a girl scout troop leader. Be ready. Or, you know, <laughs> I was yeah. met at their, at the, at the family manse or the family house front door with an order form and was, you know, asked how many or how many, uh, boxes or how many boxes of cookies would I, or, uh, would I be ordering? Not, would you like some cookie or would you like to order some cookies? How many boxes will you be ordering? <laughs> yeah, they, they can be a little aggressive. Um, I will admit yeah. as I, I will admit, you know, my favorite story though, still with the Girl Scout cookies has to do with the marijuana dispensaries. <clears throat> I just, I, every year, every year, I love reading those stories because it's always comes up in the news, right? I mean, in Canada, marijuana is legal nationwide. Um, but I think the first instance of a girl guide selling outside a dispensary was in Edmonton. Didn't they have to like set up like rules to keep them away from a certain point because people were worried that that was unseemly? I don't know, but I mean, there's always a round of news. There's always a round of news stories every year about this time of, you know, Girl Scouts in whatever state, Colorado often, but others as it becomes legalized in other places. Um, just setting up a table in front of a dispensary. I mean, it's so. It makes good business sense. I'll say that. On the one hand, it's so insanely stereotypical, um, you know, pot munchies, but you know, on the other hand, you're right. It does make really good business sense. Actually in a Canadian sense, the Edmonton story was kind of unique because get this, you know, when the, um, government backed dispensaries opened, they have enough product. I know we're all shocked. I know everyone is just floored at this revelation, but, um, and you know, especially like the, when the first one opened in Edmonton, there was a really long lineup at the door. And so, you know, there was a couple of shots of this one young girl in her uniform, in her guide uniform, uh, although the guide uniform has gotten way less formal now. It's basically just a t-shirt. Um, but still, you know, she's got her wagon full of cookies and she's just marching up and down the line. Yeah, I got, I got to see the old vest and sash, which I don't know if there was any square space or any space left on it that couldn't or that could fit a badge that didn't have a badge on it when I saw my, when I saw my old lady's old, you know, sash o'merit badges yeah the the american scouting and guiding movements definitely retain a or definitely have a a greater affinity still for for badges i know um 
in both the guiding and scouting movement in Canada. The guiding movement more, um, the scouting movement not as much, but they there has been a de-emphasis of, of badges. Well, if you focus on the badges, people are going to care. The kids, and especially the parents, are going to care far less about, is my kid learning, or how is my kid's uh, experiences getting enriched, and more, oh, they have, you know, th- do they have this, do they have that, do they have this? Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I totally get the point in de-emphasizing the badges. Um, I think maybe, if anything, we've gone, you know, like, I, I don't really have a problem with it, but I think, if anything, we've gone a little bit too far. Um, but then again, also, we split the badge stream in two. So, you know, we have one set of badges that are all about the outdoor adventure side of the scouting experience. And that's actually what we use to track progression. And mm-hmm. those are sorts of things that the kids can earn passively, right? Me as the scouter, I can track the activities we do and I can track whether they satisfy particular requirements for the, the outdoor adventure badges. Um, and then, you know, periodically I can be just like, oh, and Hey, by the way, all of you who came today have earned this, you know, you, you've ranked up, you know, you've earned your level two in your, uh, camping skills badge or whatever. Um, but the then whole... we also have, go ahead. Oh, sorry. We also have what are called the personal achievement badges, which is kind of what replaces the merit badges, you know, you would still call them merit badges in the American scouting context. Um, they're designed to be, you know, ways for youth to bring their own interests into the program and get that recognized in the form of a badge on their uniform. But there hasn't so been like, a big uptake for that. So individualize this or that for kids so they can do what they do well. And- yeah, well, it's like a collection of broad categories. So there's okay. like a, a science one or a winter sports or a year round sports or an art or a hobby. Right. So, you know, if I have a kid who's interested in photography, well, that is a hobby. And so we can design, uh, some requirements, some self, some self-made requirements for the hobby badge around photography. And if another kid collects stamps, well, that's also a hobby. So we can design some self-made requirements around collecting right? Like it's sort of, it's, it's meant to be just sort of a category and then they fit their own interests into these categories. And suddenly I'm reminded of a friend of mine who made their own uh, potato cannon from scratch out of PVC piping. Done that. (sighs) But you see the whole going for this or that little stamp or sticker is something that's pervaded a lot of today's culture and mentality. I mean, take a look at how trophies and achievements have changed the way people play video games. I was literally about to say, like, achievements in games. (laughs) I mean, I've beaten, for example, I beat Spider-Man, the PS4 game, on Wednesday. I'm going to be going back next Tuesday, and I'm going to be going in trying to pick up all of the achievements that I missed before I start on the DLC you know, for that exact reason. But it's completely changed the way people play games. I mean, especially when some, a lot of games put in really, really highly obscure stuff like go to this one particular spot and jump 50 times in a row or something uh, similarly obscure and silly. Yeah, or like, you know, kill... uh, What was one that I got just recently in Oceanhorn? Kill 10 enemies with clay jars. Ocean horn? I don't think I've heard yes. of that one. It came out initially as a, it's, it's kind of a Zelda like, 
Um, and it came out initially for uh, iOS and Android, I believe, and is now also available on Switch and possibly other platforms as well. I remember when achievements were a newer thing and it was a neat thing where you found something that you didn't expect for anything. For example, you remember Half-Life 2? Sure. I remember when I was playing with the dog and I thought, hmm, I wonder what happens if I put that uh, put the ball using the gravity gun and if I put, if I put it through the basketball hoop. Hmm. And I got a two-point achievement on my Xbox back when... <laughs> Achieve when the full achievement spread for an Xbox game was 1,000. I got two points. It was literally two points. Well, you sunk a basket. Fair enough. That's hilarious. And, and a nice touch on the part of the developers. Um. I remember seeing obscure, you know, little neat things like that. But these days, you don't see people playing the game to enjoy or playing games to enjoy games. You see people playing a game to get all the achievements. Yeah, I mean, like, okay, granted, I still do mostly play games for the sheer enjoyment of them. I don't usually play achievements, but at the same time, I do get intrigued by some of the ones that I inadvertently unlock, like when I unlocked the Juggler achievement in Amalur Reckoning, which is awarded for, um, because the physics in Reckoning can be a little bit wacky at times. Um, so the the juggling achievement is achieved by hitting an enemy into the air and then hitting them a certain amount of times while they are in that initial loft. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I achieved that, actually I achieved that quite easily, again, without realizing it, because, you know, I did a chakram attack that launched them in the air and then a second chakram attack that, you know, basically racked up more than enough hits to get the achievement. Um, but it was still kind of I think funny. it was almost like, more... Ping! I think that achievement was more designed to get you to try some of the other weapons. Sure. Certain, I mean, ones, certain weapons just make certain achievements easier to do. I have sure, to admit... And that's probably what it was for, but... Hmm. Sorry, go on, Harmony. I have to admit, I wasn't really a fan of Amalur. I tried it, but I didn't get that far before I just didn't want to play it anymore. But then I realized that doesn't mean that it's a bad game. That just means that it wasn't a game for me. You know what the problem with it was? What? Um, I mean, like, okay, the, the world is beautiful. It's fun to explore. The combat is pretty bumping. It's, it's, it's really fun to have a fight in that. But for the first, I'm going to say half, um, the main plot just really doesn't hold your interest. Some of the side content is really, really rich. Lots of deep lore in the side content, but it's only until a, it's only after you get to about the second half of the game, maybe 60% that the main plot suddenly becomes the more interesting part. Part of what got to me with it. And now, now that you mentioned combat was the fact that it seemed like at least early on where I only had like one or two spells, or, you know, just a little bit of range. The game almost expected you to be near pure melee. And if I tried well, anything else, I got punished for it. Uh, certainly during the intro sequence, there's really no way to do anything but melee your way through the intro sequence. I meant after I got out of the place where I was stuck and got into the world. Not yeah, the I'm world just... as a whole, mind you, but once I got out to that first city. 
Yeah, I'm just trying to think of I'm just trying to think of kind of that first quarter of the game. I mean, I never really liked the archery system in the game. I typically did not engage with it. Um, although I can't think of a game whose archery system I really like, so uh, reckoning is not oh, unique in that regard. Correctly in any game. Yeah, Ultima Nine does it all right. I can actually, I can, I can shoot a bow in Ultima. I kind of like the archery in uh, Skyrim, but that's Skyrim. Yeah. So they, there's vanishingly few games that do it even half right. So you know, I don't begrudge any particular game for getting it particularly well. Um, the, I will grant that reckoning does not give you a lot of ranged spells early on. Most of the magic that you can conjure in reckoning early on is more suited to close range combat. It's a supplement to melee. Cause I was trying for a balanced build and going with a balanced build, it made it tough if you were doing anything but melee. Because I was going for, I forgot exactly what it gave you. I think it was Reza or stat buffs of some sort. Hmm. Yeah. Like, and just even the weapon sets that you get, like, you know, you're more likely to get the swords and the chakrams early on as loot. Occasionally you pick up a staff, which is a better ranged weapon than the bow. But I'm reasonably sure I got a, I, I got some sort of weapon due to my playing mass effect, if I remember correctly. Yes, you got actually you got a handful of weapons and an armor set. Yeah, I'm reasonably sure it was something along the lines of uh uh chakram that was a, that looked a lot like one of the uh omni tool weapons. Yes. And actually that mass effect set will get you through the first uh, at least quarter to third of the game. Like it's a pretty good set to start out with. I went I think I went through Mass Effect 2 wearing the Dragon Age armor for that same reason. <laughs> yes, the Dragon Age armor was quite good. I mean, it did look a little silly to be running around the galaxy in plate mail, but uh, decent stats. Oh, speaking of games that are on the cheap, if anybody is interested in the Division 2, which I'm assuming not, it's for sale, oh. you know, 95% off on the Ubisoft store. You know, oh, I see. 60. Oh, and I see uh, Outward is also on sale. Thanks, Gold. Yeah, since we're talking about Reckoning, that's one that I would toss into the mix as one that kind of fits in that same one where some people just can't get into it, but some people like myself, oh, it was, there are things that are tough about it and things that I definitely got frustrated myself, but some things just were so good. I mean, I can't say much about taste. I mean, the last time I played Skyrim, I had mods in where I was on my little pony swinging a lightsaber. Mm. So I can't, I can't judge anybody else on their taste in gaming. Well, I mean, isn't that half the fun of Skyrim? I, I'm pretty sure there's a whole family of memes around. I don't actually play Skyrim. I just install mods until it breaks. Well, there's oh. no videos of people have done where they just use mods to do ridiculously silly stuff in the game, like Thomas the Tank Engine as Dragon. <laughs> or that was yeah. the best. That was I think my best. favorite one. Speaking of dragon mods, was the Randy Savage mod. Oh no! Where it screamed, "Oh yeah!" <laughs> oh no! But yeah, stuff like that, right? Like it's just. And I mean, like, that's especially dangerous for someone like me, because I am one of those people who will literally just, you know, 
I'll get lost in the Nexus mods rabbit hole. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm trying to load up Skyrim and it's struggling under the weight uh, of the last 30 things that I've installed. Um, and for the I'll, few minutes that it runs stably, it looks like a I'm fine game, but then it crashes. I wish Outward had modding things. Like, there's such a good base in that game. It'd be nice to mod it out a little bit because it really was what I always hoped. And then no you have the Shroud, but Shroud of the Avatar should have been in the first place. And then there's the uh, Switch version, which you don't have mods, but you may as well because you can uh, amiibo a, a Master Sword and links gear into Skyrim. <laughs> nice, nice. With amiibos. That's nice. cool. I forgot that they brought Skyrim to the Switch. Uh, I will just observe that I, I just clicked onto Nexus mods for a minute here. There are mods for Outward. Let's browse them. There is? I will, I will, I will browse them and Thank tell you some of what I see. Let's see here. Hope, I mean, hopefully it's more than just shader mods. <clears throat> okay, let's see. Player map markers, enabling sitting, uh, multiplayer yeah. limit removal, enhancements to meditation, configurable custom difficulty, drinking while running. Oh, that's something that was needed. Bag map markers, a better combat HUD. Um, stop food decay. Adding a mouse wheel zoom. Stop feature. food decay. That's part of the whole man management though thing. Was with that? I don't know. Uh, better armor details. Hiding the helmet. Better quick slots. Um, <laughs> skip the logos. Yeah, I haven't touched the game since it that long since I beat basically beat the main quest line when it first came out. So, well, good for them. About time. <laughs> Because that was something yeah, where the, if you could mod that, because I always thought, mind, if I could mod this game, <laughs> I could bring it up to the level of exactly what I always wanted it to be, and then perfect. Yeah, I'm not logged in, so um, I'm not logged into my Nexus Mods account right now, but just based on what I'm seeing here, there appears to be around 95. There are about 95 different mods. Wow. I mean, some of these are like, and, and some of these are like, you know, duplicates. Um, some of these are stuff that you might not be interested in. There's a fly cheat. Um, some I of them are editors. Plenty of cheat ones because there are things in the game where it was pretty obvious with the right knowledge, you could probably cheat. Well, like the, the food one would be an example of that too, right? Like sort of a yeah. quality of life thing. Um, some of them are just like, there's a little bit of retexturing. There's some shader stuff here as well. And I mean, because I'm not logged in, I don't see any of the content that would be flagged adults only. Not that, you know, that necessarily would be something i'd go for but i know that that's one thing that nexus mods hides behind the login wall there's a couple of other things um uh but 95 mods had, just visible publicly, anything so. that would change combat like where you would one of the things you could do in some games is you can take advantage of the animation actions and like get things to cancel certain animation actions to get an extra like attack in I wonder if they have anything like that for Outward, because I could see that being used to kind of improve your damage up, but I don't know. Shared quests and loot rewards, bird mask be gone, improved gong strike. I like Kingdom of... I always butcher the name. <laughs> Amalur. Amalur. Um, that was, that's another one where it's that same kind of adventure game where it's just so much fun. And the nice thing, like it was just a fun world to get lost in. 
Exactly. Like I love the weather, like running, like having the sweat on winter clothes when it was snowing to run around. And the fact that things actually were kind of fun to look at. Yes. It was just, it was beautiful to see. And reckoning has very few listed on, um, most of which are reshades. Yeah. Although someone made a character planner and reference spreadsheet, which looks actually really crazily massive. So there's that, I guess. No, it's one of those things where there's a lot of games where I think we get a nice skeleton and then it just kind of falls apart sometimes. And then we have ones where they just need to redo the whole thing. Like, oh, let's say um, Anthem. (sighs) Well, but they are redoing the whole thing. So. So that's all right. Yeah. Now, here's the question. Is it going to end up like Final Fantasy 14 version two or is it going to end up like Star Wars, uh, the galaxy's new game enhancements? I'm hoping for the first. Although I yeah, still miss well, the original Final Fantasy 14 before they did Realm Reborn because there were some good things in there that we never got back. But oh, uh, somebody had to miss it, I suppose. Yeah, that came out unfair. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, come on. You can't defend me. I tried, I tried <laughs> harvesting and crafting in that. It was pain. Well, I didn't say some things weren't terrible. Because there was. Ha- when you had to have six ore to make one nugget. You had to have six nuggets to make one bar. You had to have six bars to make one item. Oh, yeah, balance issues. It's a bit much. And you had maybe a 20 to 30% chance to get one ore when you went to bang on a rock. And that's if you did everything perfect. Yeah, that's a bit much. And balance. You needed leveled craft the game needed leveled crafters because guess who were the ones that did repairs? Because there weren't repair NPCs. And ninety percent of all gear in that game, well ninety five percent of gear in one before they started having loot for dungeons, was player made. And yet, it was probably still better than Shroud. Yep. <laughs> yes, I went there. All right. It was made by people who knew how to make something beautiful, but not who were very skilled at making an MMO, in my opinion. Well, fair enough. To that point, Final Fantasy had not really been a multiplayer-focused yeah, series. Yeah, only had one previous one, and even that one had balance issues at times. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that's uh, the thing, right? Like... <sighs> There's, and I mean, you know, if we could take this one all the way back to like Mike McShaffrey's comment about the jumping in Ultimate 8 and how it would have been good maybe to have a few people on the Cody team who were zealous players of platform games, right? It's like all the QA guys played platform games, so they told us what was wrong like right away. But none of the developers who were working on that system were real platformers, um, so they didn't it's like maybe, maybe it would have been smarter if we'd had a couple of people with, you know, more platformer experience on that part of the game. Oh, the stories I could tell about Final Fantasy XI. But that's the point, right? It's like, you know, you can have a developer with this incredible pedigree of producing a particular kind of game. And they're just like, okay, now we're going to try to make this kind of game. And, uh, well, I mean, hell, like that's Origin too, right? Now, Ultima Online was a very successful game, but it was definitely made with that Ultima six, Ultima seven world design philosophy, which works beautifully for a single player game. You know, it works, it works fine in a single player game. If 
everything is persistent and everything can be picked up and manipulated and you can attack anything that you can see because it's there. So why wouldn't you be able to attack it? Put that into a multiplayer game and all of a sudden it's just like, oh, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Night. Uh, have a good, have a good, uh, Drax. It was nice talking to you. Night, Drax. Actually, I'm going to have to turn into a pumpkin here right away too. Yeah, I wasn't supposed to stay up this late, but yeah. The, the trick, though, with uh, Ultima Online, I mean, I wasn't there for it, but as far as I could tell, we really didn't have much in the way of graphical online or multiplayer online games at the time. I mean, we had what? No, it was uh, the had... only game in town. Well, more or less. I mean, there was the Realm and we Meridian did... 59. And yep, Neverwinter Nights. We had two Nights. previous ones. Yes, well, and kind of Neverwinter Nights, too, yeah. But, you know. You the know. old uh, gold box uh, AOL one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but even then, like, you know, thinking about like what Meridian 59 was or what the realm was at the time or what the old Neverwinter Nights was at the time, Ultima Online was still in a league of its own. Oh, true. I mean, yeah, each one was a scale bigger in size. Yeah. Ultima Online, though, really put that first M, that massive, like that was, that was its thing. I remember very, very, very well. I remember uh, Richard actually took credit for coining the phrase MMORPG. Yeah, he may well have done. I think he's the one who made it popular. He definitely was not the one who came up with it. Mm. But then again, too, you know, his company was really the one that I think successfully built something that was truly massive as a multiplayer online experience. Yeah. So, you know, e- even if he doesn't completely deserve the credit, yeah, can kind of give it to them because they did pull it off. To be fair, Massive has been a matter of scale since, well, even early on. I remember the first time I logged into a MUD and there were 10 people in a concurrent wor- and a concurrent text adventure role, and I'm like, oh, man, this is amazing. Yes. But I got into a bigger MUD where there were like multiple hundred people at once, and I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. This was back when MUDs were the peak of things before even EUO. This was like 1995. I was in college. You know, MUDs were the big online thing for nerds at the time. Now it's Minecraft realms. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, my, 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 my eldest has gotten in, there's a handful of servers and I've had to vet them all, uh, that she will log in and play on. Right. And I mean, some of them are, they'll support up to like a couple thousand players. Right. And it's like, holy crap. Like that's. Well, I look at, I was one of the first, you know, streamers online. I streamed you all back before even YouTube existed. It was amazing and shocking if you had, you know, say 50 to a hundred people on a weekday night. Yep. Now you get 20,000 at the top end for some people. It's insane. Yeah. Where were you streaming back in those days? What, Justin TV? Oh, Justin TV came. Oh, what year was that again? I think Justin TV came out not long around YouTube, I think, even. No, I did a private site. No, yeah, Justin TV was only 2007. I started in 2001, 2002. And that was a personal site that was developed by me and two other people. I mean, were you live streaming or were you recording the video and posting it online? It was a GIF that would update every so many seconds. Well, that's one way to save on bandwidth. That's a... (laughs) That sounds college, complicated it, as all. Rap it was a it was a gif that would update. It would save. So, uh, it was basically an animated gif 
that would update and will only be a certain size and only so, so many frames and it had a text chat. That was it. So you weren't recording audio at all. <sighs> yeah, that sounds primitive. Not, but that not sounds... on that bandwidth. <laughs> then I mean, it got that... into internet radio and that was something that we had a lot more back then in that same oh, time period. Man, I miss those days. I had a friend who ran an internet radio station back when I did the IRC thing. Oh, yeah. And that you can get, you know, a couple hundred people, and even that was huge. And now you look at, you know, again, 20K people for like Asmund Gold, and it's like, holy cow. That's more people than watch some, you know, over the air free TV shows, even sometimes <laughs> at a concurrent time. It's crazy. I think, you know, it's amazing that there are people these days that literally make millions of dollars a year. Because other people watch them play video games. The whole massive, you know, thing when it comes to scale has changed so much since 2000. And I realize I'm small time and I, pro and I almost certainly will never get to where I could support myself doing it. But I don't do it to support myself. I have fun. Like right now, what I was playing today was Final Fantasy IV. Right. And it's not something you're going to see many people playing today unless they're doing some randomizer weird crap. But it was one of my favorite games growing up. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, like you know, I, I'm floored at, like, you know, what I know some of the Minecraft streamers can make. But, I mean, like, on the flip side, like, I mean, they definitely are doing something that they're having a lot of fun with. And to a degree, I envy them in that. Um, although I have a lot of fun with what I do too. So, you know, it balances out. Uh, but at the same time, like a lot of them do put in a lot of work, you know, I mean, producing so, some of the ones that we've kind of vetted and let the kids watch. There's, there's a lot of production value in what they're putting out there. They, they are kind oh, yeah. of, some get editors to... that they pay that then do some pretty amazing editing of the live streams. They're, take out a lot of extraneous stuff and put together really good videos then for people to enjoy. Right. I've seen some very, very high production value uh, as Twitch streamers. Like one of the ones I look at as a gold standard for how to do things right is this one gentleman called Co Carnage. You know, and he's a variety streamer. It's just, he, I, I don't know how to explain it, but he's very professional about how he does things. He, you know, he has a whole like team of mods and tech people handling his graphics and everything, and somehow manages to make enough money to pay them and make a living. Yeah, now, he's regularly the got... whole scale of massive went from you know dozens to hundreds to thousands to now. It's crazy. And yet we still have problems like uh, this one a fella Jarvis or Phase Jarvis. Uh, Is that the that, guy who got banned for the Fortnite shenanigans? Framebotting, yes. And some of the big name people, including Ninja, were trying to defend him, saying that's not fair of them for banning him because he's a big time streamer and the rules should be different. They're interfering with his money. No, seriously, <sighs> like Ninja and I forgot who else were saying that Epic should unban him because. That was costing. Uh, they were, that was costing this kid money. I'm thinking the guy's 17 years old and has millions of dollars to his name. That's more money than I'm going to have in life. It is true. 
Um, I was just thinking it's more he should know better, and well, good, let him learn now when he's young. Yeah, maybe there's an element of that, too. Yeah, I made a uh, mistake in, what was it, when Twitch first started in that first year of talking back to one of the Twitch mods. I learned the lesson the hard way. Hard yeah. way. Sometimes you just can't win fights. Oops. If you want to join the Ultima Dragons, you can do so at udic.org, where at you can choose your very own dragon name. You can also find the Ultima Dragons on Facebook. We have a Facebook group there. And you can follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter or join them on Discord. And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. Hit up the show notes for links to all of these. If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email. Or if you're feeling a little bit braver, leave us a voice message in one of three places, the podcast website, our Facebook page, or on anchor.fm. And you're also welcome to join us on our Discord server to chat with us, to lurk, or even contribute to podcast recordings when they happen. And again, links in the show notes. If you'd like to support Spam 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 Humbug, you can do so at patreon.com slash ultimacodex, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live to the general public. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio when we have some to share, and possibly other interesting content. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're also welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam 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 Humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at spamspamspamhumbug.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous. Be virtuous.